In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you may be seated. You know, I think Advent's my favorite season of the Christian calendar. For these four weeks, we commemorate the arrival of Christ with quiet reflectiveness. I'm a gardener, so I love solitude. But I have to tell you, actually I confess to you openly, that for most of my life, well, at least until just recently, I've struggled with understanding the meaning of Advent. It's never made sense to me that we fast and become reflective about the coming of Christ as a baby in the manger in Bethlehem. It's, it seems like we make Advent a kind of second Lent, a season of preparation, and we make it to be solemn as we wait the joy to the world. Now, my confusion is justified when the Christian church perpetuates the myth that Advent is solely about remembering the baby in the manger. Here's what one Anglican website says of Advent. Advent and Christmas are often confused. The confusion arises because most North Americans begin celebrating Christmas before it arrives. Waking up the day after the American Thanksgiving Day, folks start singing Christmas carols and putting up Christmas trees, and it's called the most wonderful time of the year and holly jolly old time with its lights and family times and cheers. But meanwhile, at the local Anglican church, you find a different atmosphere. Suddenly, you've left behind the smell of the pine and the celebration of Christmas and entered into the old world of Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist, and powerful announcements of angels announcing future events. A subdued tone fills the music. Advent's tone and focus, however, is subdued for an important reason. Each major festival celebration, Christmas and Easter, are prefixed with a season of preparation. We delve into the prophets and John the Baptist because they tell us of a time that the Messiah had not yet come. They tell us, they take us back to the times of anticipation and longing. They remind us of how dramatic and powerful the gospel story is becoming, of God becoming man. They prepare our minds and our hearts for the joy of incarnation. And so Advent necessarily is a reflective anticipatory season. Now, here you clearly states that Advent is a season of preparation for Christmas Day or Christmas season. Now, go with me. If we're preparing solely for the physical birthday of Jesus Christ, why be somber and quiet, right? I mean, he, his coming has brought us eternal life, and so that gives me joy, not somberness. But at last, I finally found an answer to clear up my confusion. St. Albans Episcopal Church writes this of Advent. Christmas will, be on, will come on December 25th, and it will be celebrated for 12 days. But for the season of Advent, we are called to ponder the meaning of both the first and the second comings of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and to consider what both of those comings mean to our lives. Advent calls for us to remember both the first and the second coming of Christ. Now there, now that reflective and contemplative preparation of Advent is making more sense to me. Let's listen to our Romans text. Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. What was written in the scriptures provides us hope. Let's look at Isaiah. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 5 are written, a written description of the first coming of Christ. A shoot shall come up from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its, his roots. Think of that picture, a dead stump with a green shoot coming out. Out of the stump of humanity, God the Son, the one who holds the spirit, the wisdom, the understanding, counsel, might, and knowledge of God, the one whose delight is to fear or reverence the Lord, the one who comes to bring righteousness that will judge and decide with equity for the oppressed of the earth, the one who brings his word that will kill the wicked and who brings to the earth faithfulness. God the Son is born in Advent. We remember and we celebrate the incarnation of Christ's first coming to us as the fulfillment of God's promise to the Jewish people. By his coming, he showed his faithfulness to his promise that through them, all nations would be blessed, Romans 15, 8, and that the Gentiles could now receive the mercy of God and together, all as one, they could praise and bring glory to the God of Israel. The goal of this act of grace by God is for his people to show forth the glory of his name, his nature. And our Isaiah passage, further down in 6 through 9, gives us a picture of what his name and his nature bring to us. Go with me. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion shall feed together, and the child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat hay like the ox. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord and the, as the waters cover the sea. This is a picture of peace and harmony. The wolf and the lamb are natural enemies and they're living together. The little child leads them. Have you ever had a two-year-old take your hand to show you something, take you somewhere? It's precious. The lion, a carnivore, is eating hay. No more food chain eat or be eaten. Peace and harmony among creation. No hurting each other. 
No dying, no destruction, no grief. This is a picture of the sure hope that we have in Christ. Isaiah gives us a picture of what life will be after the second coming. And finally, in verse 10, we see the root of Jesse standing as the reason for this change. In verse 10, on that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples, and the nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. The term root of Jesse stands for Messiah. The root of a family is its progenitor, right? Jesse was King David's father, and we know that the geological, in the geological records in Matthew and Luke, Jesus was descended from the line of Jesse and his son David. In Isaiah 11:10, the Hebrew word used for root is sheresh, and it implies that a root, that root remains alive and sends up a, a shoot or a branch. Thus, the root of Jesse was a root from which more descendants would come. The branch, the tree, is meant to get bigger. When Isaiah began to prophesy, there was a current hope that there would, a Messiah would come as an earthly king. Through the prophet Samuel, God has promised David that his offspring would establish an eternal kingdom. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build my house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever, and your throne will be established forever. We see that kingdom in, in Revelation 21 as well. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning or crying or pain, for the old order has passed away. One day, church, there will be no more death, no more sickness, no more struggle to get out of bed, no more broken relationships and family and friends, no more pointing the finger at each other, and no more wrestling with the hatred that we have in our own hearts. Now I understand the season of preparation, the mood of contemplation in this season. We contemplate how we presently live our lives, not just individually, but as a church collectively. And we open ourselves 
to the possibilities of what can change, to give us space to nurture our relationship with the one who is coming again in order for us to stand with him when he comes again. Now, what does that mean in our lives as individuals and collectively as the church? Individually, we intentionally live our lives laid open to his winnowing fork, allowing our lives to be threshed. The idea of threshing is not something that most of us are familiar with. We're urbanites, right? We're not farmers. But even if we were farmers, they they do it by machine now, so we still wouldn't know. So let me help us. Before machines, they they, um, would use a flat surface, usually on a hilltop, and they would come with bundles of, of the straw, and they would lay them on the surface. And then they would get an oxen and bring the oxen, and the oxen would tread over those stalks, over and over, walking over them until they were broken. And then the wind was used to separate the heavy heavy kernels from the chaff that didn't provide any food, right? And wind in, the, in, the, um, in Scripture many times is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. And so they would f- throw it up in the air and the wind would take away the chaff and down would come the kernels. It was called winnowing. Individually, this is done in our prayer closets, in our Bible study, in our service to others, in our fellowship with one another. Like when we don't get along and we need to put the other needs above our own, we need to think of them over ourselves. When we live intentionally for others. Now, what does it mean collectively as his church? He came, God the Son came, Jesus Christ, as a baby in the manger with great humility to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves so that he could be with us, to give us the ability, as Paul writes in Romans, to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus so that together with one voice, we would glorify God so that together, uh, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we, the Cathedral Church of St. Luke, We live now as an outpost of the kingdom of God amidst a world that needs light and love, his light and his love. Our voice of the glorification of God is for them, church. It's for them, not merely for our benefit. We are blessed to be a blessing. The root of Jesse produces a tree. And church, we're the branches of that tree. And we are called to yield fruit in its season. We are called to be the shelter and food for those around us, those inside the church and outside the church. How we live amongst each other 
speaks volumes to those who don't have faith. I love this season of Advent. I love the silence and I love the darkness. The reflective, intentional, con contemplative fasting of the season is logical as I think about Jesus Christ, our King, coming again and, and how I want to stand with him when he comes. John Maxwell said this about intentionally, intentionality in living. An unintentional life accepts everything and does nothing. An intentional life embraces only things that will add to the mission of significance. Let me say that one more time. An unintentional life accepts everything and does nothing. An intentional life embraces only the things that will add to the mission of significance. Because we are human, we have to remind ourselves what's important to us. What are we living for? What is our vision of the future? What is our vision of the rest of our life on this earth? What are we willing to accept? And what are we willing to do? Advent gives us the space to contemplate what we should embrace and what we should let go. The darkness and the quiet makes sense now. <laughs>